I'm Rob. I'm an addict and an alcoholic. Today I've got 2,174 days. I'm grateful for any newcomers, especially the gentleman who just identified today. Uh, welcome to everybody. I am uh, I'm grateful to be here. I'm grateful to be sober. And I am one day at a time in recovery and feeling more at peace and serenity. And that's a direct result of the 12 steps. A little bit about myself. I uh, grew up in the Detroit suburb and I grew up in a home of chaos. I was born into a family that I couldn't trust anything that was going on. I have alcoholism and mental illness dripping through my family tree. And I have a grandfather who killed a couple kids drinking and driving. And my mother's twin sister murdered my uncle. And I've got an aunt who died of an overdose. And I share that because for me, that was what an alcoholic and that is what a drug addict looked like for me. So it created the judgment of as long as I'm not doing those things, I'm not as bad off as those people. And I will continue to point the finger and look outwardly to make sure that I'm not getting that bad and that I'm not that person. And for me, it was the beginning, really, of secrets and shame. My, my household was one of go outside, be happy, look happy tell people everything is going well. And meanwhile, there was just chaos and abuse of all kinds going on within the home. And for me, I didn't know any different but chaos. And I, I grew up in fear. I had fear from very early on. And I mean, I just remember being a young kid and anything I could escape from, I went hard. If I got a new video game, I would stay up all night till I beat it. If there was sugar in the house, I would eat it all until I was told not to eat anymore, and then I would do it in secret. And for me, it was any sort of escape that I could get is what I always needed. And once drugs and alcohol were introduced into my life, I found the ultimate in escape. And eventually, as it talks about in the literature with it being a progressive disease, I ended up just needing oblivion at all times. And it was just secrets and shame was what I knew early on. And my, my father left the home relatively early. I think I was eight or nine years old. And he left with another man. And in the suburbs of Detroit, in a Mexican family, as my dad is, um, it was something that wasn't talked about. And my mother was very angry. But in time, she ended up coming out as well. And and she still remained angry and to this day still remains angry, but it was don't talk about it. And so for me, everything was just suppressed inside and the drugs and the alcohol allowed me to feel some relaxation, allowed me to feel some relief and allowed me just to escape my mind because my mind would not stop. And for me, it was always more my drug of choice was more, no matter what. I needed more of everything. And I love in the literature where it says, one's too many and there's never enough. And for me, that's certainly the case. 
I really appreciate in the uh, literature here where it talks about from Dr. Sapala, and it says, addiction manifests in a compulsion to seek and take the drug, loss of control over limiting intake of the drug, diminished recognition of significant problems, emergence of a negative emotional state, craving, chronicity, and relapse. All of those boxes are, are checked. When you read the 12 questions of Marijuana Anonymous, all of those 12 questions are checked for me. And I was really the last one to know. I had no idea. The first time I ever got high, well, I remember, I'd say I was probably in third or fourth grade, and used to have to walk through the park to get to my elementary school. And I remember walking to school one day, and there was this distinct smell and I can still picture the day as if it was yesterday or a week ago. And there was this smell. And I was like, man, that smells good. And in time, I figured out exactly what that smell was. And it was always more. But once I put some into my system, I didn't even realize how it took over with time. Little bags at first, nickel bags, then dime bags, then quarters. And, and there was always the need to have it with me. And I didn't even realize that it was an issue because I grew up where I grew up. And I thought I was a tough guy. And I liked doing things that I wasn't supposed to do. I felt shame and guilt already. I didn't feel good about myself. So why not do something that felt for me a little edgier and like I was getting away with something. And in time, it got to a point where I didn't care who knew what I was doing. And I did well in school. And I share that because I was always concerned of what people thought about me. And I did really well in school. And that was the one thing on paper that I could look at and say, I did something right. Because my inside always felt as if I did something wrong. And the thing that I love about the program is I remember a person telling me one time, you're not a bad person. You're just a sick person. And for me, that brought a lot of relief because I, I went through my life thinking I was a bad guy and it gave me a moment of relief that I may not be a bad guy, that I may just be a sick guy and that there is a solution. And there were so many warning signs and I had no idea. Like I didn't heed any of them because I all thought it was bad luck. I always thought it was bad luck. And it was, I didn't eat enough. I should have smoked more to temper that drink. I should have slept more. I should have done this. I should have done that. It was always, there was always an excuse for every outcome, always. And my mindset was, if you grew up the way I grew up, you would act like I did too. And when people would say to me, what is your problem? I just would shake my head and say, well, you'll never understand me. And that's how I got through life thinking I was unique. And I've since heard from somebody in the program, this guy said one time, be careful about being unique. Because if you're unique, that means you're alone. And if you're alone, there's no one who's been where you've been to help you get out from where you are. And that just kind of allowed me to 
open myself up even more to the fellowship and to say, man, like, I don't want to be unique anymore. And, and that was a spiritual experience for me. And I had so many times, you know, so many close, close encounters with the police, close encounters with school authorities, with government, with the IRS, with relationships, with car accidents. And I always just thought, hmm, I dodged that one. And that was just bad luck. And I'm going to get through it. There was a time I lived in Brooklyn for quite some time. And I remember being so high and so drunk when I got home. I lived in the second story, the second floor of a, of a brownstone. I, I fell over the brownstone and came to, I don't know how many hours later. And I just remember pushing myself up and walking upstairs and opening my door and putting my head under the sink and pouring peroxide over my head and taking a shower and going to sleep. And I, I woke up hours later and I walked downstairs and there were patches of my hair and my scalp on the cement. And I remember thinking, man, like I need a drink. And again, it was, maybe I didn't get enough sleep the night before. Maybe I didn't fill in the blanks. It was always something. And my, my morning consisted for a long time of waking up and calling my friends and saying, we had a good time last night, right? And waiting for them to fill in all of the times that I did not remember because I was so high and so drunk. And I just, I felt worthless inside. And as I started to feel more and more self-hatred, I needed more and more oblivion. And as it talks about in the literature, it got worse. You know, it never gets better. And for me, I am so grateful that ultimately I ended up in the hospital in a detox. And they had the people of H&I, and for those of you who aren't familiar, stands for Hospitals and Institutions. And they come into places where people can't get out of. And they came and they shared a message of hope through their experience and strength. And it gave me a light on my darkness that there may be a way out here if I'm interested. And someone shared in there with me. After the meeting, he stopped me and he said, you know, the most important thing you're ever going to do in your life, the first thing you're ever going to do when you get out of here. And you're going, to get, you're going to go back to being comfortable doing what you've always done, or you're going to learn to get comfortable being uncomfortable because the way you've, li- the way you've lived up to now doesn't seem to have worked. And so if you want change, it's available to you, but you're going to have to work for it. And for me, just the negative feelings, all of the the emotions within me. I was so desperate. I had the gift of desperation. I'm so grateful for that. And for me, that was my last day of drinking. But I'll tell you, I entered Alcoholics Anonymous. And for the next seven months, I still took Xanax when I wanted and smoked, smoked marijuana when I wanted. Because once again, I didn't think marijuana was a problem. Little did I know that I'm smoking when I want to smoke it. I'm smoking into oblivion, claiming that I'm sober and having no idea. But what I remember is on March 24th, 2014, I remember smoking out of a pipe. And as I inhaled it, that inner voice said to me, this may not be your last, 
but you've enjoyed your last one. And I exhaled and literally I had stuff given to me and I went home and I threw it away. And I knew for me that I was never going to have a positive experience with any mind altering substance again, because for so long, marijuana was really insidious like that for me that I never looked and thought because I'm not crashing cars when I'm smoking marijuana. But what I was doing is I wasn't leaving the house. I wasn't interested in fostering healthy relationships. I was only interested in hooking up. So that way on long weekends, I could shut myself in the house and smoke myself through the weekend. And next thing you know, it's Tuesday, waking up and it's time to go to work, but it's time to get high before I go to work. And I had no idea how it had taken over so quietly and made me just keep whispering to myself, it's okay. It's just marijuana. But meanwhile, marijuana had a grip on me, and I didn't even know it. I'd been smoking it at that point for, I don't know, 20 years. And I just always thought what people say, you know, you hear it all the time. Well, it's, it's, it's natural. You know, God gave us this. Well, maybe he gave the world this, but he didn't mean for me to take it. Because once I started taking, there was never enough. And I am so grateful to been accepted even with my faults by my sponsors I told him what I'd been doing and it was time for me to reset my day come clean to everybody from the last seven and a half months who had been claiming sobriety and being clean with because my road had finally come to an end and at that point I was able to really start going through the steps one by one And for me, all of those negative emotions that I'd felt my entire life started to unravel. All of the shame and the guilt started to get lifted. And I love where it says in the literature, recovery does not happen all at once. It is a process, not an event. I love that because for me, I'm looking for an event. I love events. I love big events. I love going to an event. I love being a part of the event. But because I'm I'm an alcoholic and an addict, the next thing I need to know is where's my bigger event? When I'm at that event, I'm like, man, I need to be somewhere else. But what I love about this is it's a process. And for me, there is no A at the end of the semester. Because for me, I was great at getting really good grades. But what I wasn't great at was learning. The person next to me who had lower grades probably learned a whole lot more than me. Because I was able to show up and look good. And that was part of my problem my whole life. I was only worried about looking good. I didn't worry about being good, doing good, or learning What is the difference between good and bad? I just wanted to impress you. And for me, the 12 steps began that reflection of this is who I am. And do I want to, not do I want to, but I must become accountable and responsible for me to let go of the past and to move on. And for me at that point, there's no doubt about it. I'm powerless over marijuana. My life had become unmanageable. And I was so arrogant and stubborn when I started that my life had become unmanageable. I would just look at it and say, well, I still pay my phone bill. Forget that rent hasn't been paid and forget that I haven't paid the IRS in a couple years. But I would look at the one thing because it's always what I would do. I would look at the one thing that would point me toward, yep, I'm right again. But the reality of it is when I opened my eyes and looked at everything, My life had become completely unmanageable. And unbeknownst to me, I had become powerless over marijuana. 
and man, I would sit there and there was so much romanticism tied into my marijuana use. It was like, no, that, that's over because I don't even enjoy it anymore at all. So I've got to be real with the good days have passed. And if I want better days, I need to stop doing this. And the only way to stop doing this is to have a spiritual experience through the 12 steps. And so my sponsor lovingly took me through step one. Step two, I have a problem. You know, am, am I insane? Like, I, I, I've got a problem with that, too. My arrogance, what do you mean restore me to sanity? Like, I'm not insane. But yet, when I actually look back upon ref- reflection, my pattern of behaviors, it was all insane from very early on. Reminds me of in the literature where it says our best thinking brought us to our bottom. Absolutely. And I'm so grateful for that. And I also don't, it it reminds me that I don't know what's good for me. And so when I'm in that detox hospital, and then when I'm smoking more marijuana once I got out, and I'm thinking, how did a good guy like me, how did a smart guy like myself end up in a place like this? How do I hate myself so much? And yet it was the greatest thing to ever happen to me. My bottom was the greatest thing because it propelled me in a different direction. And so I have to be reminded today when fear grips me, when things take over for me, I don't know what's good for me. That has been proven to me. I don't know what's good for me. And if I don't know what's good for me, there's no way that I know what's good or bad for you. And that's a fact. So when I'm going through some trials and tribulations in life, I just have to slow up and say, man, I don't even really know if this is going to end up bad for me. Because I thought the worst day of my life, that was the worst day of my life, and it ended up being the greatest thing that I've ever done. The humility that's been brought to me through owning up of my addiction and my alcoholism is something that I could have never imagined before because I was always grandiose. Always. And for me, the power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. For me, it had to be the group at first. Because if you grew up in the household that I grew up and had things happen in the way that they all played out within my family, there's no way that I could believe in God. No way. So I used the group as my power. And man, successfully so. Because I was able to latch on and I was able to follow these people who've been where I've been into that darkness and start heading me toward the light. And I remember specifically with step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood God. I, I had no idea what that meant. Like, no idea. And I remember my sponsor saying to me, are you God? And I said, no, sir. He said, well, that's that's a good beginning. And for me, it became, was I willing to do the fourth step? Because as it was explained to me, it's a living step. You're going to figure out the difference between your will and God's will in time. And today I do. When there's conflict, any conflict in my life, that's my will. Because I'm not getting what I want. When that light won't turn green quick enough and I feel that that person in front of me should be faster, that's my will. I should have given a few more extra minutes to get there. If somebody's not picking up that call, well, maybe they're actually helping somebody. Maybe they're doing something they need to do. Any sort of conflict within me with my children, with my wife, it's like that's my will. I just I want what I want, and I want it now. That's the way I've always been in my life. But the greatest thing haven't come when I've wanted them. I've had to work for them. I've had to be patient for them. And man, to sit back and say, okay, it might be really difficult right now, or at least it seems difficult. My life does, but I know that I can get through and there's going to be lightness on that other side of that darkness. I can supplant that fear with faith 
and it's going to get me through. And so for me, that was turning it over, just saying, I don't know. I don't know what's good for me. I'm not in control. I need to let go. And the searching and fearless moral inventory was where I was able to put my past into its proper place by becoming accountable and think that it happened 30 years earlier that I held on to my whole life to say, man, what's my part in that? I don't understand. I didn't have a part in that. And they'll say, well, how, how old are you? I'm 37 years old. Well, the problem is, is that you're 37 years old and you're treating something 30 years old as if it happened yesterday. You need to let go and grow up and move on. Face it, yes. Deal with it, yes. But you must let go of these resentments. You must let go of this bitterness and this hatred that you had to be able to be free. And so I was able to look at everything, all of my relationships, the sexual inventory, all of my fears, and be able to see who I am, what I'm afraid of, all of the wrong I've done, how much judgment, how many double standards I've had in my life, and be able to move on from those things and say, yeah, this is me. I'm going to own me and be able to share that with another man. And for him to say, I understand. You're not a bad guy. You've just been a sick guy, but you're in the process of recovery and you're getting better. And then I was able to look at my character defects and there is a great many of them. I can't even remember how many there were, but they still pop up every day. I'm impatient. Mm, I'm judgmental. You know, I work on those things. I'm intolerant sometimes. I'm a perfectionist sometimes. You can ask my kids. And I just have to slow down and remember that, man, like this is me. And my children, I've got a 10-year-old and a 5-year-old. And I have to be really clear and patient with myself sometimes and kinder and say to myself, my kids don't want the childhood that I think I wanted. They're living in a different time. They've got a different set of parents. They want something different. Take my hands off the wheel and let them be them. Don't think that I know what's good for them or that they want, because once again, that's me and my self-will trying to take control. And all of my character defects as they continue to show up, you know, that's what creates conflict in my day. And that goes back to the third step, that that's my will, that I'm not getting it. So I pray, you know, I pray for those things on a daily basis to have these character defects removed, to allow my life to be smoother, allow my life to be easier, and just to take it one day at a time, patient improvement. I love that. Like, I'm not patient, and I don't really like improvement, because I just want it to be done now. But patient improvement is what I have to settle for, and I'm good, good with that today. And for me, then it was, I, I was able to make a list of all of the people that I had harmed and became willing to make amends to them. And that was where it really freed me up. You know, in so many ways, I was able to call the IRS and talk to them about how much money I owed them. I was able to go to a court and where I had a couple outstanding warrants and, and stand up there and, and face them. And they said, where have you been? And I was able to say, I'm an addict and I'm an alcoholic. So, Your Honor, that means I've been running for a long time. We were able to make good terms. And I remember walking out of there and she said, Mr. Villa, I never want to see you again. And I just smiled and I turned around and said, Your Honor, I never want to see you again either. And thankfully, I've never been in another courtroom since, except when I've served jury duty. And for me, there's so many. It was telling my mom, telling my dad, talking to them. No matter what they did, 
for me to own the fact that I was never a good son to them, for me to make amends, for me to change my behavior, for me to ask them, is there anything else I can do? Doing the same with my wife, for my children, giving them living amends, because they don't really understand what we're doing yet. But for me to go to some of my ex-girlfriends and own up to really finally be able to say it had nothing to do with you. It had everything to do with me because I was never good enough. I was never going to be good enough. So that's why I hurt you. That's why I made you feel that way. Because I've learned in these programs that hurt people hurt people. And it allowed me to put my behavior into context and say, oh, now I understand why I treated people the way that I treated them. Because I was a hurt person and I wanted them to feel as badly as I felt. And for me, throughout all of this, allowed me to see that's where my marijuana came in. Makes you feel better, so I thought. But act worse and, and eventually think worse. Think worse th- things about other people, about myself, and starting to act in that way as well. But being able to make amends for all of my behavior. So that way today I can walk down any shopping center, any mall, any airport, any sidewalk. And I no longer have to look over my shoulder. I no longer have to be in fear of who I see. And for me, that's such a big thing because I lived my life in fear. I was always looking over my shoulder, who was afraid of who I was going to run into and who I was going to have to duck. And it's such a great feeling today to know that I don't have to run from anybody anymore. And I'm not ashamed of the fact that I'm an addict. I'm not ashamed of that anymore. Because come to find out that's my greatest asset and be able to share these things and these stories with other people to say, me too, you're not alone. Depression, I get it. Anxiety, I get it. Shame, I get it. Self-hatred, I get it. Feeling lost, I understand. Because I've felt all of those things. And for me on a day-to-day basis, step 10 is, being able, again, it goes back to the third step for me in step 10. Where did I have conflict today? Do I owe anyone an amends? What did my day look like? Did I do something of purpose? And I always look at that at the end of the day. Did I do something for somebody or people today that allowed me to be useful and have purpose? Because my my self-esteem and my self-confidence can run pretty quickly with fear and with comparisons to me and other people. When I'm able to sit down and objectively look to, did I input something back into life today? Because for so long I was a taker. And what I love about the program is, it's the paradox of the more that I give, the more that I get. And it's the more that I put back in from all that I took out, the better that I feel about myself. And the purpose of, yes, I've got a primary purpose, and that's to stay sober, to stay clean, and to help other addicts and alcoholics to achieve the same state. And ultimately, peace and serenity for me is my goal. And that comes through step 11 for me. Prayer and meditation, I do it every day, every day. I pray in the morning and I pray in the evening and sometimes in between. Because when I'm just riddled with fear, the only thing that can get me through that fear is prayer. The only thing. A smile from my daughter and my wife pat me on the back and another great event to attend. All of those are nice distractions for the moment. But when I'm in real fear, when my head is loud, when that self-talk is getting to me, that 
uh, you know, it wouldn't hurt to maybe just have a little bit of this or a little bit of that. Or maybe, you know, your, your ankle's been bothering you for a while. Maybe it's time to get that surgery. Maybe they'll prescribe you something good. It's the prayer that says none of that is true. It is all good. I am on borrowed time as it is. And when I look at what is right, there is so much that is good. And for me, I have a propensity to look at what's not good. And when I do that, the negative feelings, the negative fear starts coming in. And I just have to have that perspective shift, that perception shift through prayer that all is good and all will be good. And just to be reminded that my worst day of all time ended up being my launching point for peace and humility, honesty, integrity. I would have never imagined. And for me, it's just the prayer for calmness. I need and want to be calm. That's the ultimate gift. When I'm calm, I know all is right. And I know that I'm doing right. And no matter what happens on the outside, it's not a reflection for me. And that's for the 12 steps, probably the biggest gift to me. I was always so worried on what everyone thought of me. And today, if I do right and live right, I'm not worried at all about what anybody thinks of me because I'm not ashamed of being an addict. I'm not ashamed of where I've been because it's gotten me to where I am. And there's no way I could have gotten here without every single event that led me to this day, this moment, this second right now. And for me, the ultimate is a step 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, that means now I've had to go through all of these steps to have that spiritual awakening. For me, tapping into that unsuspected inner resource, that voice that said to me that day, you may not have enjoyed your, you may not have had your last, but you've enjoyed your last. That voice that is my higher conscience, the, the voice that points me in the right direction when self-will wants to go my own way. And for me to help carry this message and to help other individuals is the greatest gift that I'm able to give. I'm only here today because of all of the people, people, many of whom I never gave credit to, a high school principal, my neighbor who was so kind, people who helped me get into a cab when I was in oblivion, people who supported me and loved me through all of my times that I would probably have not have been able to do the same for others. When I was unlovable by myself and seemingly to everybody else, but yet they treated me with kindness, kindness and saw a better me than I ever saw. And I think that's what I love about the program the most is they wanted more for me than I wanted for myself. And I'm so grateful to have gotten there with the desperation to say, yes, I'm willing to go to any length to get clean, to get sober, and to do everything. And for me, that's the greatest gift is to be able to help other individuals to get an hour, to get a minute, to get a day, to get a week, one day at a time, to say, me too. I've been there as well. This darkness does get bright. It took a long time to get into that forest, as I've heard that forest of self-pity, self-hatred, blame, excuses, and all of that. So it's going to take some time to get out, but the 12 steps will get you out faster. And for me, I'm so grateful that I had a sponsor who encouraged me, no matter how slothful I was at times getting through there, keep doing it, keep doing it. And eventually I got to a point where I can help other individuals, and it makes me a better me, makes me more accountable, and allows me to share my most difficult experiences and realize that they're my greatest asset because I can help others get out of the darkness. I'm grateful to be asked to speak this evening. Thank you so much. I love each and every one of you.
I wish you the best. Thanks.